Noreen Brown went out one cold December evening to buy ingredients to make some Christmas cookies. And she never returned. She was never even seen again. Her car was found at the grocery store. But that's the only trace of her left behind that night. Did someone kidnap Noreen? Or was the monster behind this crime someone much closer to home? Welcome, welcome, welcome into another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, your favorite podcast about all the bad things in the world. I'm your old buddy Brad, the host of the show. I'm happy to announce I was recently voted the podcast host who looks best in a Speedo. So enjoy that mental image, ladies. I actually have one on screen. It's called Emerald Thunder. Uh, besides that amazing honor, why am I hosting this true crime podcast? Shouldn't I be two soccer moms sitting on a basement couch drinking wine? Probably, but, you know, I'm arrogant enough to think that my decade of experience as a criminal defense trial attorney may have some value when it comes to discussing, you know, true crime. But what do I know? I'm happy. You're giving us a little slice of your day for us to entertain you. You know, hopefully you're doing this while you're grinding through work or waiting in the pickup line to get your kids from school, wherever you happen to be right now. I I hope this is making your day a little bit brighter. We've got a really interesting missing persons case, probably a murder case that just hasn't been, you know, found. As always, as you know, me and pre-show banter don't get along that well. So let's, you know, we'll just get this party started. But you got to promise that you're going to listen to the end, okay? All right, good. Let's do this. So we're going back to December 13th of 1990. Miss Noreen Brown happened to be celebrating her 32nd birthday that day. Her best friend, Elaine Commando, which is an awesome last name, was awoken by a phone call. It was Noreen's husband, John. He was looking for Noreen. They had gotten in a fight the night before, and Noreen left the house, claiming to need to go to the grocery store to buy some ingredients to make Christmas cookies, and really just to blow off some steam. But Noreen never came home. John was calling Miss Commando to see if by chance Noreen had spent the night with her. But sadly, Elaine hadn't seen or heard from Noreen in a few days. Now, Elaine happened to live right next door to the store that Noreen was headed to the night in question. So Elaine was happy to walk over to the parking lot and scope it to see if there's any evidence there. And she saw Noreen's car in the parking lot. It, at least from the outside looking in, appeared to be largely empty, but there were several wrapped Christmas gifts in the back seat. And the vehicle was left unlocked. But again, Elaine poked around and didn't see any signs that, you know, Noreen had been in a struggle or that, you know, she was sleeping on the floorboard or something wacky like that. 
So Elaine called back John in a state of near panic, and John rushed down to the parking lot. There, John kind of looked at the scene himself and quickly called the police. They jumped on this case. They arrived on the scene, but they refused to accept it as a missing persons case. Why? Because at that time, they had this stupid rule that you had to be missing for at least 24 hours. John and Elaine and thus spent the day calling Noreen's friends, hoping she'd spent the night with one of them. They drove around looking at popular places that Noreen may be, but just no luck whatsoever. So finally, the sun goes down, the moon comes up, moon goes down, sun comes up, and now magically, John can file his missing persons report. It wasn't until this was done that police searched the vehicle. They didn't find anything. Now, they wanted to search the house, but John said no. And he immediately hired an attorney when this request was made, which struck the police as odd. Strikes me as odd. Probably strikes you as odd. I can see some validity in it. Husband's always the first suspect. So why not go ahead and start playing defense from the get-go, but it's also going to attract a lot of attention when you're playing hardball. When police spoke to the workers at the grocery store, one of the employees actually remembered seeing Noreen arrive. This was shortly after 11 p.m., so it was pretty late to be buying cookie dough and whatnot. But, you know, he was just doing his thing. He didn't pay attention to who the driver was, if he or she was alone. He just remembers seeing the vehicle arrive. Police decided to start organizing search parties throughout the New Hyde Park area, which is in New York. I don't think I said that at the beginning. We're in New York for this. Uh, many members of the local fire department became deeply involved in the search because... John was a longtime firefighter. But John didn't participate in any of these searches. He said it was just too difficult for him to, to do it. And if he happened to be the one to find Noreen's body, he would just be too traumatized. He, he just couldn't handle bringing that level of stress into his life with everything that he was going through at the moment which kind of raised a red flag. And it's, I think it's fair to say this is just one red flag in a sea of red flags. Now, Noreen was a stay-at-home mom, and John worked two jobs. He was a firefighter, like we said. He also owned a plumbing store. In fact, they lived in an apartment right above the plumbing store that he owned. The couple had a five-year-old girl and an 18-month boy. John was pretty highly thought of in the community. You know, he's, he's a brave firefighter. He's a small business owner. Uh, he coaches Little League. He volunteers for a lot of things in the community. And it just seemed like to everyone around him that the pair had this ideal, you know, all-American life. 
but Noreen's closest friends knew otherwise. She had confided in them how violent and controlling John was behind closed doors. She tried to divorce him, but each time he made that threat, he responded by saying, okay, you do that, and I will make sure you never see the kids again. And she believed him. This guy was such a pillar in the community. He had connections. She was worried that he could get to a judge, and the judge would say, how can you say these bad things about John? You know, you're trying to alienate the kids from their father. I'm not going to allow that. This is in spite of John actually being arrested for domestic violence once. But he was never convicted because Noreen refused to press charges and basically just wouldn't cooperate with the investigation. Sadly, that's a common thing you see with domestic violence. The, the one being abused is willing to call the police to get the abuser to stop but they don't want to take it any further than that because in their mind it seems like this is just going to make things worse, so why do it? Now what makes all this weird, at least to me, is even though John has this arrest on his record, and even though John admitted the couple were fighting or arguing at least the night that Noreen went to go buy Christmas cookies supplies. And even though it was kind of becoming common knowledge that they had a bit of a rough relationship beyond what was officially known, the police never really considered John a suspect in Noreen's disappearance. Now, because John refused to do anything proactive in searching for his wife, the burden of leading the charge really fell on Noreen's friends and sister. And they did a remarkable job trying to raise awareness regarding Noreen's disappearance. I mean, they would spend all their free time, you know, putting up flyers, passing out flyers. They would search through local parks. They would go down back alleys. One of them even hired a psychic to come into a system. In response, John said this was just a way for Noreen's family to make him look bad. And he got very angry and said, you know, all you're doing is getting in the police's way. And as long as you're doing this, you can't see my kids at all. So he cut off Noreen's family from seeing his two little ones completely. So they didn't get to see grandma or grandpa or their auntie or anything like that. The only thing that John did, the only thing John did in that could be construed as helpful in the search for his wife is he appeared for a television interview in 1993. So two and a half, three years later. But the interview was all about his plumbing store. He never once referred to his wife during this interview. It seemed like this interview was really nothing more than like a brief little infomercial where he's saying, hey, I'm looking to sell the store. Anybody out there want to buy anything? 
Well, he did eventually sell the store and the apartment above. And when the new owners took over, they noticed something that was very odd. There was an old well on the property. It was behind the residence, behind the building, so no one no one really was aware that this was there. And when they discovered it, they found that it had, it had been completely filled with concrete. And this had been done so recently. When they asked John about this, he didn't really offer an explanation. He just kind of sidestepped the question. Now, when Noreen's family learned of this fact, they went bananas. And they told the police, you gotta dig into that well. You gotta check it out. If Noreen's been murdered, that's where she's gonna be. And the police said, look, we agree with your theory, but we don't have enough evidence to obtain a search warrant, particularly a search warrant that's going to allow us to essentially destroy what is now a third party's backyard. Whenever the media or others would ask John, you know, what happened to Noreen or what's your theory on the case? He just kind of shrugs it off. He said, it must have been a random act of violence. You know, I, I don't know that will ever get solved, I'm afraid. He insists police received a statement from a witness that Noreen was seen arguing with another woman in the store's parking lot after exiting the store, but there's no details about this alleged argument out there, and nobody has kind of independently confirmed what John's reported. Now, it has been confirmed by the police publicly that they do not know if Noreen actually made it into the grocery store. So it would seem like this admission from the police implicitly undercuts what John is saying. If police don't know if she made it in the grocery store, then the police would not have a statement that she got in a fight with somebody upon leaving the grocery store. On the other side of the coin, though, of course, it could be that she got in the fight or the argument before going into the grocery store. But the way John presents it and the way the police present it, it really doesn't seem to, to fit together as neatly as that. I, I think John is trying to suggest that the evidence has indicated to police that Noreen went into the store and left while in this argument. But that's publicly contradicted by the police, which is problematic. Now, sadly, this case went cold. John ended up remarrying. He fathered two more children. And then in 2013, he retired from public service. He was the fire commissioner when he retired. Now, I don't understand this, and it may have nothing to do with this case whatsoever, but essentially within weeks of John's retirement, the apartment he and Noreen were living in was firebombed, and it destroyed everything inside. Now, 
this isn't again this isn't to say that this relates to noreen's disappearance in any way i just found it to be an odd coincidence these were rooms that the police wanted to search and john wouldn't let them but by the same token he sold the store roughly 10 years before this event occurred and so if the police wanted to search it and the new owners were willing to allow it which i can't imagine they would stand in the way but i, I mean there's there's lots of reasons not to let police into your house because you get a few gung-ho officers who want to search for something and they'll just start knocking stuff over, tearing, you know, cushions open and things like that. I mean, I've seen it on Reno 911 and things like that in, in an exaggerated way, but these things do happen when police are, when, when not so great police officers are convinced that there's evidence hidden in a room. They don't care about destroying somebody's property in the pursuit of finding, you know, a kilo of, of marijuana or something like that. What I am not clear on, and I think would be very, very relevant, is John sold the plumbing store. But I don't know what the status of the apartment was. I assume it would be a package deal. But, and, and I'm, I'm reasonably certain that John and his new wife were not living in that apartment above the plumbing store when they got married. But I can't say one way or the other what the truth is. And we also really don't know what was destroyed by the firebomb. Everybody wants it to be the two rooms the police really wanted to search. I don't know what two rooms those are. They've never been made, mentioned publicly. But apparently the police were just really focused on searching these two rooms. And I don't know if these were two front rooms that the firebombs easily reached. If it was back rooms where the firebombs didn't do much damage. Basically, whatever rooms were facing the street were the ones that were just gutted by this fire. So that's really the only event that's noteworthy that takes place essentially from 2003. Well, no, what, 1993 is when John did that interview about wanting to sell his place. And then we go to 2013 when the firebomb occurs. So for 20 years, nothing's happened. Well, in 2019, Noreen's high school class had a reunion. And so everybody gets together and they're gossiping and they're talking and the subject of Noreen comes out. And a lot of people who weren't still living in the area were shocked to learn that Noreen's case was still unsolved. So all of these former high school classmates at this reunion basically bonded together and created this de facto little charity campaign where they started putting pressure on local police and prosecutors and other government officials to say, hey, you can't just let this case sit there. You got to keep investigating. 
And because of all the noise they were making, the media picked up on what was going on. John was again contacted about his ex-wife's disappearance. And he said, look, I'm happy to answer any questions that the police have. They just haven't asked me any. Hmm. Now, going into the always reliable and trustworthy and certainly citable Reddit communities, I found something kind of interesting. There was a user on there by the name of Sacred Geometry who proposed a very unusual but, but very tantalizing theory. So on January 13th, 2013, skeletal remains of a woman were found in Laddington, New York. And these remains were believed to have been a possible victim of the Long Island serial killer that we've talked about before. The body was that of an Asian woman, and she was found wearing a gold pendant. This gold pendant had an insignia on there which may have... Cons co uh, I can't talk all of a sudden. Corresponded to the year of the pig or the boar in some Asian cultures. You know, at least we in the Western world always see with the Chinese New Year, there's an animal associated with it. Like, I'm very proud of the fact that I was born during the year of the monkey because monkeys are awesome. But this may be more important in this culture. Now, the victim, uh, this Asian victim, has never been identified by police. Our Reddit user, Sacred Geometry, however, noticed that during an interview concerning Noreen, her sister is wearing an identical or nearly identical necklace and pendant. Noreen is half Japanese. Now, she was not born during the year of the boar, according to the Japanese zodiac calendar. But, and I didn't know this, not only do years have animals associated with them, but months have animals associated with them. Noreen was born in December. It turns out that the animal for December is a boar. Now, there may be a million different reasons for having a pig necklace. It may just be a funny joke. She may just like pigs, whatever. But it's very interesting that this Jane Doe, that's believed to be a victim of the Long Island serial killer, is wearing what appears to be the same necklace and pendant as Noreen's sister. And one could easily fashion an idea that Noreen and her sister wore these matching necklaces and pendants because they're sisters. You know, it's the one thing they have that kind of connects them, maybe, in a way. Now, the problem with the theory that the Long Island serial killer 
got a hold of Noreen is this dude traditionally and almost exclusively preyed on sex workers. Also, it's thought that he really didn't become active until 1996, which is several years after Noreen went missing. Though, this is not an exact science, and it is entirely possible that this unidentified serial killer began his work earlier than expected. The police, you know, have set the timeline based off the bodies they found, the manner of death, and other factors like that. Very possible that this Asian woman's murder would extend the timeline if there's enough evidence there to, that police believe this woman was a victim of the Long Island Serial Clear. Now, as of this recording, no arrests have ever been made in Noreen's case. Indeed, a person of interest has not even been named publicly. She continues to be considered only a missing person. As I always seem to say after that noise, that's our case. There's not a ton of information I could find on this particular case, but I found it really interesting nonetheless. Based on the facts, as reported by the media, it seems almost impossible not to consider John a suspect, right? And I have to say from my experience, okay, if a city employee with any clout. I mean, a new hire is not going to get this, but someone that's been with the city for a period of time, if they are ever suspected of a crime, the police's threshold for getting a search warrant and an arrest warrant is much higher than normal, which frankly is a normal reaction. I'm not dogging police here, okay? I mean... If you work in an office and you complain about one of your coworkers to HR, you're creating some drama, right? And so here, you're trying to get a coworker arrested. You know, you're trying to put a firefighter in jail. You can't be wrong about that. I mean, that would be a career killer to a cop. It legitimately would be. You arrest a city firefighter. I mean, this isn't a tax assessor. This isn't, you know, a special assistant to the mayor. This is a firefighter. This is someone the community looks on with respect. It's considered a very brave and honorable position, right? And then you're out there trying to put him in jail. And if you're wrong, mm, I mean you've got to start immediately looking for a new department to transfer to. Because though they won't fire you, your odds of ever being promoted again are very, very limited. And you're going to start working some pretty crappy shifts. But having said that, how can you look at this case and not say, we need to hear from John? I mean, first of all, like we mentioned earlier, Wife dies, first person you got to talk to is the husband. Always the first suspect, right? 
And John, during the course of the story, what does he do to make himself seem sympathetic? He refuses to cooperate. He hires a lawyer. He won't even join in searches for his wife. He keeps his kids from having any contact with his wife's family. He won't answer questions about his property, particularly about the will on his property. This all makes us raise our eyebrows. It doesn't look good. And I don't know how much his lawyer was really helping him or how much he was listening to his lawyer during this investigation. I mean, if this was one of my clients and he came to me and said, wife's missing, they're asking me questions, but I didn't do it. How do I help, you know, improve my situation? I'm going to say, you grab your sister-in-law, y'all become best friends, and you do everything you can to look for Noreen. You go out there and you hang up flyers. You go out there and search, okay? You show up to every press conference with Noreen's family. All of this will help give the impression that you genuinely care about finding your wife. Because frankly, the route John took in this makes it seem like he didn't give a crap. His wife goes missing shortly before Christmas, and he's just, just it's like, it's like saying, ah, I, I forgot to pay the electric bill. I'll take care of it. It's so bizarre. And of course, we have to keep in mind the volatile national nation the notion of this relationship right i mean this was not an ideal coupling you've got what appears to be an abusive husband a wife that's living in fear you know if what's to say john didn't escalate things maybe he got drunk Maybe he had a particularly bad day at work. Maybe, you know, she broke something of his that was valuable. Any of these things could have set him off. None of them are her fault, of course. But, I mean, there something could have escalated. All speculation, of course. But that's kind of where we're stuck. And the other mystery we're stuck with that I know we're all dying to know what the answer is, and certainly not, you know, I mean, if we're dying to know, Noreen's family's got to be just killing themselves. What's in the well? What's in the well? How? I mean, we have to know what's in the well, but by the same token, how happy would you be if police show up with a backhoe at your house and say, we're going to dig the ever-loving crap out of your backyard because there's an outside chance there may be a body buried there. And understand, like, you know, like generally, like I alluded to earlier, police don't clean up the mess. You know, it's their job to find evidence. You know, if someone breaks into your house and they dust for fingerprints, they make a mess. It's not them being a prick. It's just, that's how they search for fingerprints. And it's on you to clean it up. So, 
who's going to foot the bill for this landscaping? You know, if they come and just dig these massive holes all through your backyard. Now, this may be such a case where the city would come in and say, you know what? We're going to pay to fix it. I've seen that before. I think it's very good from a PR perspective for cities to do that whenever they have to inconvenience a citizen. It also increases the likelihood that the police get what they need. But this is one of those weird situations we run into in the law where, yeah, we want to solve crimes and yeah, we shouldn't have murderers walking around free. And if we've got a reasonable idea where the body should be, then we ought to go get it. But if it's on your property, why do you have to give up your rights to have this crime solved? And understand, you know, throughout the history of the law, going back at least to the Magna Carta, like, you know, we've all heard this saying, a man's home is his castle, right? Okay. We really treat homes as special under the law. I mean, even in Alabama, where you can't really sue nobody for nothing, despite what all the insurance companies and all the defense lawyers want you to think, the home is one of those things that if somebody messes with, you actually can get some special or punitive damages. We just, we really buy into the idea that your home is your home is your home, and the police can't be mucking around on there, either without your consent or without some pretty compelling probable cause. Now, having said all that, things have been turning in the police's favor over the past 30 or 40 years of Supreme Court decisions and other changes in the law. So maybe where you're not going to hold that as close as we used to, but traditionally, that's been a very American thing. So that's all I really know to say about this case. There's just not information. That's all I can pass along. So again, this is still an open missing persons case. If by chance you live in the New York area, the Nassau County Police Department in New York has the file. You can call them at 516-573-8800. Again, 516-573-8800. I'm sure they'll be happy to take any reports you have and will follow up on any tips. For what it's worth, Noreen was last seen. Oh my gosh, we're talking over 30 years ago now, aren't we? Oh, it makes me feel old. But she was last seen wearing red pants, white sneakers, and a heavy wool coat of some dark color. Dark gray, black, navy, something like that. She was 5'4 and around 120 pounds. Today, she would be roughly in her mid-60s. So, again, if you know anything, please help out. Uh, okay, palate cleanser. That's what we do next, right? Palate cleanser. Uh, we've got something nice and cute this week, which will actually serve as a for real palate cleanser. And so some of the stupid ones I've come up with before. 
So our palate cleanser is how do baby cats learn how to swim? How would you teach a baby cat, a kitten, how to swim? You take it to the kiddie pool. Ba-da-ba. My little rim shot there. Okay, uh, time for our closing notes. Listen, please leave a review if you haven't. We are so close to 300 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Love to clear that number. I think last I checked, we were at 285. That was as, you know, that was a few days ago, uh, at, at least when this will be released. If you can go on there and leave a five-star review, we would really appreciate it. It gives our chance our podcast a chance to be found by more people along those same lines. If you can share us with your friends and families and coworkers and clients, just whoever, I mean, word of mouth is absolutely 100% how we grow. So I have to, I have to rely on y'all. Uh, please check out our merch store too, because I think we've got some fun designs on there this month. We're doing all t-shirts. They're $25 with free shipping. I don't want to charge $25 for a t-shirt, but the economics of the world just make that possible. Oh, I mean, that or a requirement. I mean, I could charge $2,500 a cheap t-shirt, I guess. That would be possible. Anyway, um, and know too that really... While that helps us, it doesn't make us a ton of money because I've tried to cut the price as much as I can. I'd really rather y'all get the shirt than us make a killing from it. So, you know, help us bring dozens of dollars pouring in this month. Go go check out the shirt. We, I'm particularly fond of the Sex Pistols inspired one we have. We also have a... Uh, uh, a, a rare political one, in a sense, that you could own and wear. And remember, come come February, we'll have new shirts. So if you see one you like on there, please order it before February. Okay, I think with that, I'm kind of done pimping our show. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook for lots of stupid and funny pics. If Twitter's still around when you listen to this, we'll we'll probably still be on there. Uh, we have a Facebook group. It is private, but it's easy to join. You just have to answer three questions. And if you've listened to this episode, you have all the answers to all three questions. None of them are designed to be tricky. They're just designed to keep the solicitors and, and multi-level marketers and people like that from joining our group. That's all I've got to say. So you go out there and do something that makes you smile this week. I mean, you know, besides listening to this podcast. I mean, this should make you smile. I want you to do two things that make you smile, I guess. So, you know, adopt a puppy from a shelter or make some cookies for an elderly neighbor. Lots of bits of niceness. Okay, folks, these add up. These go a long way. We can make our world a little bit brighter if we all work together on this. So know that I love you all. I appreciate your support more than you can ever know. And I do mean that. But I will end by saying, as always, Brad out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden. 
the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.